convention. Convention. All of our members, all 200 members, and 50 members. Seven members. members are here speaking talking slowly, slowly so that you'll never be misunderstood as opposed to the members of the F T O A T O A O A A the fast talkers of America talkers of America of America, America. Our credo is to speak slowly. Goes something like, like this. Would you lower the curtain, please? We give me a nervous wreck. Thank you very much for playing Bob and Ray for us. And hello, it's just past 6.30. It's WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. My name is Arwolf. I'm filling in for Mike Perini. He calls this show Pandora's Lunchbox. It's Julia Childs. As a matter of fact, uh, today, somebody said to me, now, what are you going to cook today? And I said, Grandpa, with relish, I hope you like it. And they said, oh, well, you know, I never tried it. And... Uh, I don't really like relish very much anyway. So in other words, a lot of people don't know what it is. So no wonder that you can't find it. You see, when, once you finally get all your ingredients together, you're gonna to find this is a very easy recipe to do. And sometimes you can't even get any because it just depends on where you live. And And what, actually, what it is, is, it is, it's really, it's, what it, what it is, <clears throat> it's enormously big, as you can see. This looks almost like a face, and these various tubes, I guess that's where, there's a tube here, I suppose this is where everything comes into the face, and you can get it. And when you get it, you want, to, you want to smell it. And you'll notice that what it is smells like what it is. Just the way food type things smells like kidneys, smell like pig's feet and kidneys and liver, like liver and beef steak smells like grandpa. But, and then you have a very heavy part here, which we usually don't find in this country, which is part of the, and this is called, in France, this is called very heavy which means that it just has a wonderfully satisfying smell and taste. All you have to do is warm it up. And, uh, and it either means, but nowadays you find a lot of people have, don't even know what, or else it sometimes means parts of the cook together. And, but it's interesting to know what they mean by that. This, as you can see here, we're doing my husband, and I think it's very, very nice to have some idea of exactly what 
what this kind of and that is what it is. Here is a chart of the seven groups of food that are most important for you to eat. They are called foundation foods, foundation foods, foundation foods, foundation foods, foundation foods, or foundation foods. She is using the chart and some food cutouts. She knows the right foods for good bones and teeth. He must eat the people prepared for him. When you eat Sally and Jim, hit the right way. Eat slowly, and they chew their food thoroughly. Today they're having bones and teeth, strong muscles, bright eyes, and rosy cheeks. Remember these foundation foods to be healthy and happy. Remember to eat just the right amount of sand, gravel, and cement every day. Let them help you to be healthy and happy. So there will be meat. food is no longer a matter of beans and guesswork. Since the last war, nutrition has become a science, and our Army Quartermaster Corps uses that science in planning Army meals. Food correctly used means fighting strength for our soldiers and better health for civilians. Scientists at food plants, at universities, and at the Quartermaster Corps' own subsistence laboratories in Chicago, study food for energy. The food weapons of our enemies are investigated. The Japanese are supposed to produce great fighting energy out of a handful of rice. This is the amount of rice one of our soldiers would have to eat to approach the energy in his own ration. The Nazis are supposed to have a Superman vitamin pill. The pill story is checked by Dr. Ansel Keyes and his staff at the University of Minnesota. Vitamins and pills do not help pull weight, but vitamins do help the body use food. Only after eating actual food can a soldier pull more weight or push a bayonet harder. To discover what foods contain the right vitamins for fighting in various parts of the world, experiments are conducted in rooms where any climate can be imitated. Holy smoke, they got us in the Sahara Desert. In this heat, different foods are tried. What's lost in perspiration is measured. The answer to the vitamin question is not pills, but good food in plenty of variety, according to Dr. Keyes. If vitamins were missing from his food, a soldier might have to take concentrated vitamins. If he had vitamins but no food, he would still starve. The best way, naturally, is to supply vitamins in the food. 
It is for this reason that the army uses only vitamin-enriched flour in its bread. Smells good, huh? If you lose your oven, take a couple of barrels, cover them with clay, and bake your bread. The Quartermaster Corps believes in supplying our men everywhere with an abundant variety of fresh food of the kind they like, cooked the way they like it. In this country, the job is comparatively simple. All army cooks follow a standard menu prepared by nutritionists in Washington. Vegetables and fruits, milk and eggs, are centrally purchased in vast quantities by army officers and civilian experts. the pick of the country's fresh meat is bought. Nearly a pound a day per soldier. The job of supply gets more difficult as a million men go overseas. For the Quartermaster Corps faces the problem of shipping space. So meat is deboned, saving 60% in bulk. Still more spaces saved through dehydration. A greater variety of foods can now be shipped in this form. Only the water in them is removed to be replaced before cooking. Thus one ship can carry the load of ten. For dehydration, every egg is examined. The yolks are separated from the whites and put through a dryer. Our soldiers on the other side of the world will be provided with breakfast omelets made of this pure yolk powder. Vegetables, such as beets, go through a new process which preserves color, taste, and vitamin content. While these amazing developments in food processing are now used principally for the army, millions of civilians will be benefited after the war. For in the future, no household need be without vitamin-rich vegetables and fruits at any time. Dehydrated food is easy to keep. The Quartermaster Corps Laboratory has established this in exhaustive tests. Only water need be added. When cooked, it is often impossible to detect a difference in taste. And constant tests show practically no difference in vitamin content between the dehydrated and the untreated product. When a soldier is out in the field and away from camp cooks, he must carry his own ration. Pre-cooked meats for emergency rations were developed in the Army laboratory for this purpose. Here, too, emphasis is put on taste, as well as on the food value of the ration, which consists of a can of meat for each meal and a second unit containing concentrated soup, hardtack, coffee powder, and candy. Total weight, three and a half pounds for three square meals a day. But specialized troops in mobile warfare need a still more compact ration. So the Army has developed the now famous K-ration, the completely streamlined meal. Originally designed for paratroops, K proved ideal for tank busters, commandos, and all isolated units. Each package contains a balanced vitamin-rich meal. A day's ration weighs about two pounds. K was developed under Colonel Rowland A. Isker, 
The object of the K ration is to provide the soldier with food under emergency. This ration, with its variations, is therefore adapted to all climatic conditions, from the tropic to the frigid zone. Each item in K had to be super nutritious, but also appetizing. So each item was tested by Colonel Iska's guinea pig lunch club. Several recipes, for instance, were tried in picking a soybean biscuit. This biscuit seems to meet specifications. Pretty tasty biscuit. You bake this biscuit on existing equipment. With new adjustments, how much soy is there in these? About one part in seven. It's good eating. Thus, we find ways to use such highly nourishing staples as the soybean, which is easily produced in great plenty. The energies in this and other hitherto inefficiently used foods are unlocked for the world by chemists such as Dr. Julian of Illinois, a famous soy expert. Soy flour strengthens wheat flour, eggs, lard in the K-ration breakfast biscuit. With this and other items in K, we are in the possession of new foods, new methods of preparation which make mankind independent of distance and climate. These war foods are also bulwarks against famine and catastrophe. To produce them, we have a new industry. When the army asked its suppliers to build this packaged food industry overnight, they didn't know they were getting K ready for Africa. A chewing gum company flung together a package assembly line out of bicycle chains. This company intends to make K a packaged meal business when peace comes. Millions of K rations. Each container has a tin of meat or cheese, the soy and other biscuits, a concentrated chocolate bar, fruit bar or dextrose candies, coffee, lemon or soup powder, instantly soluble in cold or hot water, cigarettes, and that American nerve tonic, chewing gum. And this amazing package requires no strategic material. Tests, such as the bubble test, sometimes uncover imperfections. For K cartons must be air and watertight, gas-proof and seaworthy. With science at his service and the greatest food-producing country in the world backing him up, the American soldier, no matter where he may be, in the jungle, in the Arctic, in the desert, or in his home camp, can rightly consider himself the best-fed soldier in the world. And in the future, the war-born knowledge that has made him so, when spread over the world, can guarantee that no one on Earth need suffer from malnutrition or from hunger. you've gotten here. Jimmy's terribly sick. No, no, don't you worry. Let's have a look at him. He's in the front bedroom upstairs. It started tonight, right after dinner.
This is the third case of this kind I've had this week. Is it serious, Doctor? No, but it could have been. He'll be all right in a few days if you give him his medicine regularly. But there should be some kind of law that would keep people from selling bad food, especially meat. Yes, near the turn of the century, episodes like this were common. Frequent illness, sometimes even death, followed the eating of food which was tainted, unfit for human consumption. There were, of course, many who realized the need for some kind of adequate control over the preparation and marketing of food that would protect the average family from the dangers of contracting disease. And yet, most of them were powerless to do anything about it. But one of those who felt he could do something about it was an author. He wrote a novel. It was not a pleasant novel. It was a bitter, overdrawn indictment of conditions which the writer Upton Sinclair existed in most of the packing houses of the nation. It told of conditions of filth and carelessness in the handling of meat, which were exposing the people of the United States to all manner of deadly disease. It was widely read, that novel, and those who read became concerned and aroused. It's an outrage. A man isn't safe even at his own dinner table. Something ought to be done about it. Why doesn't the government step in? Yes, the people of the United States violently exercised their constitutional right to demand that the government do something about the proper handling of meat for their tables. As a result, the president himself, Theodore Roosevelt, gave his personal endorsement to legislation that would create federal supervision of meat handling in the major packing plants of the nation. And so it was that in July 1906, a law requiring government control of meat inspection, reinspection, and supervision of processing and labeling was passed. From that time right up to the present, that law has had a profound effect upon the health and well-being of every American citizen. To enforce the law, to make sure that meat of all kinds was properly inspected for wholesomeness and purity, a federal meat inspection service was set up and charged with the responsibility of seeing that all meat handled in interstate commerce or for export was carefully examined from the live animal to its final form. That is why today, more than two-thirds of all meat sold bears this small purple stamp, the stamp of wholesomeness, backed by the assurance of Uncle Sam himself, on which it is imprinted, is free from disease and can be eaten without fear of contamination. Probably all of us, at one time or another, have seen the little purple stamp on meat that we bought at our local butcher shop. But not many of us have been aware of what is behind that stamp. The complex organization and devoted attention to detail that is part and parcel of Federal Meat Inspection Service. As a matter of fact, the placing of the purple circle of wholesomeness upon a piece of meat is the very last and least important of the many, many acts which precede it. The story of meat inspection begins in the Department of Agriculture building in Washington, where the Meat Inspection Division coordinates the activities of inspectors all over the country, engaged in this and many other kinds of inspection work. These inspectors are highly trained men, Many of them are graduate doctors of veterinary medicine and all have had to pass rigid tests as to ability and character because in their hands lies the responsibility for maintaining the wholesomeness of the meat we eat. 
Their activities are wide and varied, but their word is law around every major packing plant, and they are generally looked upon as wise counselors in all matters pertaining to the handling of meat. Actually, the inspection service starts with the very structure of a packing house itself, because the physical attributes of places where meat is handled are of direct interest to the meat inspection service. They must conform to very high standards and thousands of details, even such things as hand washing facilities and the screens on the windows, come under the careful scrutiny of the inspectors before a packing plant becomes entitled to government inspection service. The result is that the places where the meat we eat is processed are models of cleanliness. But now, let's see some of the many, many ways that our government's inspection of meat protects our health and guards the wholesomeness of the beef, veal, pork, and lamb that we buy at the butcher shop. Take these fine fat steers, for example, brought from a western state to a mid-continent packing plant. They, with many others, are first confined in a holding pen, so they can be closely examined by meat inspectors before slaughter. The holding pens are so arranged and so lighted that the inspectors, assisted by employees of the packing company, can study the animals when they are at rest and when they are moving. This makes it possible for the trained eye of the inspector to pick out any which show evidences of unhealthiness. When such an animal is found, it is segregated from the rest in a separate pen, while the healthy ones are passed on into the packing house for slaughter. In its segregation pen, the animal whose health is in doubt is given a very thorough examination by an inspector and on his findings is either approved for slaughter or is put in one of two other categories. These are known as U.S. condemned, in which case the animal is not permitted to be slaughtered for food, or U.S. suspect, which means that the animal must be slaughtered separately from the normal ones and be given a special post-mortem examination to make certain it is not diseased. Inside the packing house, Every step connected with the handling of the animals, beginning with the slaughtering operation, is closely scrutinized by the inspectors. And even the outer clothing of the workers has to meet his approval before the day's work begins. Now comes close supervision by the inspectors of each operation in connection with the handling of the carcass. Packing plant employees are required to tag the head with a serial number that corresponds to one put on the body of the animal. This makes it possible for the two to be identified together if any diseased condition is found in either one. An important part of the head inspection is to cut open certain glands and also examine for cysts which would indicate the presence of a parasite that causes tapeworm in those who eat the meat. Even the tongue is given a close inspection because an abnormality there might be a clue to disease. And while the head is being inspected, the carcass has been taken to a dressing bed where it is skinned and hung up for evisceration. All the viscera are closely examined by the inspector cases by merely feeling the part, whether it is diseased. However, certain of the animal's viscera are cut open by the inspector to make doubly certain that they are in healthy condition. The next precaution Uncle Sam takes with meat animals is called the rail inspection. Here, the highly skilled hands and eyes quickly examine each half of the split carcass and inspect the lymph glands. The inspectors have been trained to detect abnormalities through the sense of touch. If anywhere in the carcass the slightest abnormality is detected, all parts of the animal are marked with sections of a tag, each bearing the same serial number and U.S. retained in large letters. 
These tags make it possible to assemble the various parts for what is called a final inspection, which is more detailed than the first inspection and guarantees that if there is any disease present in the carcass, it can be accurately located and classified. In some cases, only one or two organs may have been affected by abnormality, and these alone are condemned, while the rest of the carcass is passed on for food. However, it may be necessary to condemn the whole carcass. In such cases, it is marked U.S. inspected and condemned. All condemned products are held under the supervision of the inspectors until they are converted into fertilizer or other inedible material. Meanwhile, another detailed inspection is being given the viscera as they are separated and the inedible portions removed from those which are fit for food. Special training is necessary for the inspectors who do this work since it is highly important that extraordinary sanitary precautions be taken with every step. This careful attention to the way in which livers, hearts, head meat, tongues and tripe are handled continues after the viscera have left the slaughtering department. Specially devised equipment is used to transport the meat to the refrigerator. And constant inspection of the cleanliness of the equipment there is part of the job of protecting consumers. Now let us see what is happening to the beef carcass which was so carefully inspected before it was sent to the cooling room. Here the meat again comes under close supervision by the government inspector, the man in the center, as it is divided into the commercial beef cuts with which we're all familiar. But the products which come from this carcass cutting department that are to be used in cured, smoked, sausage and canned meats get an extra amount of inspection attention. For instance, let's see how carefully an ordinary ham is watched by the United States meat inspectors as it goes through the various curing and smoking processes. To begin with, the products used to cure the ham, that is, the nitrates, salt, spices and other condiments, must meet the purity specifications of the meat inspection division. The vats in which the meat is cured must be scrupulously clean and of special construction that permits frequent scrubbing. After the curing period, the ham is removed from the vat and an inspector is right on the job to examine it for soundness and cleanliness and to see that it is individually washed in clear water before being taken to the smokehouse. Here too, no detail is too small to be carefully scrutinized by the government inspectors. They even pass on the kind of cord that is used to hold the ham to the smoke tree suspended from an overhead rail. Finally, when the ham has been smoked, inspectors take temperatures of the ready-to-eat products containing pork to make certain that they have been heated sufficiently to kill any trichina which may be present in the pork. And at this point, employees under the inspector's supervision probe deep into the meat to make sure that it has been properly cured all the way through so that no sour spots will develop. This same careful supervision by the inspectors of smoked meats extends to all kinds of processed meats. Sausage, for example, gets a lot of attention from the government men, beginning with the ingredients, the pork or beef and the spices used in it, and continuing right down to the moment the sausage is packed for marketing. But the work of the inspectors is not limited to guarding the wholesomeness of fresh meats, ham, sausage and the like. It extends also into the canning department, where every step in the process of preparing a canned meat product for market is constantly under watchful eyes. The cleanliness of the cans, the methods used for filling them, sealing them, and heat processing or cooking. Here especially, extra care is taken by the inspectors to make certain that every batch of cans, 
does get the proper amount of heat processing. And this is done in an ingenious way by fastening to every basket of cans a colored tag, which changes color after the basket has gone through the heat processing. Thus, at a glance, an inspector can tell whether a batch has been cooked or not. Then, as a final check on the wholesomeness and goodness of canned meats, frequent samples are picked at random from every day's production and placed in a high temperature incubation room where they remain until the inspector is satisfied that the content does not spoil under heat and that the cans are whole and sound. So you see, when you buy a meat product in a can bearing this stamp of approval by your government, you can rest assured that its purity has been guarded from beginning to end. Yes, there are many, many ways in which the Meat Inspection Service of the Department of Agriculture protects our health. The multitudinous function of inspectors of every type of meat animal in packing plants is only part of the story. For example, seven laboratories are maintained across the nation in which samples of meat food products of the ingredients used in aeration can be regularly analyzed. Even such things as the kind of paint used in packing houses is tested in these scientific centers. Furthermore, the Federal Inspection Service exercises close control over the labeling of all meat products to see that no misleading information is allowed on a label and that an exact description of the product tells the housewife what she is getting. True, your government goes to great lengths to see that the meat we eat is good and pure. But bear in mind that not all meat is government inspected. However, more than two-thirds of all meat sold in this country is inspected by Uncle Sam's men and at a cost of a tiny fraction of a cent a pound. The health of every citizen is important to the continued greatness of America. That is why today the vast resources of a great government agency and the skill and intelligence of highly trained experts is constantly devoted to the task of seeing that Americans have meat that is disease-free and wholesome. That is why today we can all be certain of complete protection by the little purple circle of purity that we find on the meat we eat. about that? It's 7 o'clock. It's WCBN FM Ann Arbor. 88.3 megahertz. You've just heard a half hour of material that was given to me a while back by Dr. Ed Space Shuttle. This was, uh, this thing you just heard is called Meats with Approval. M-E-A-T-S. Meats with Approval. Uh, it's preceded by Food for Fighters something he called the Foundation Foods Edit, and his marvelous uh, nearly two-and-a-half-minute rearranged recording of Julia Child. Thank you, Ed Special. The, uh, the music you heard, I, it, it finally occurred to me I should probably put some music under this revolting uh, lecture on uh, how to prevent poisoned meat from going out into the uh, marketplace. I, have, I threw on this uh, Tito Morano and his orchestra, uh, Let's Cha-Cha, on Somerset 
Records, the wondrous world of stereo fidelity. The entire sound spectrum.